What's going on and welcome back to the Kicking It With podcast. I'm your host, Zach Holcomb. Today in episode three, we've got uh, amputee Rob Karate, and we talk about all sorts of different fun stuff. He tells us a story about the man who originated the idea of the three-point seatbelt and why he did not choose to patent that device. Um, we talk about other things, motorcycle trips with one leg from Detroit to Vegas and back, and the overall life of Rob being one badass amputee. Here we go. Rob, how you doing, man? I am doing well. How are you, sir? Doing well. Welcome to the Kicking It With Rob Crotty podcast today, man. How you doing? Uh, I'm great. (laughs) I am great. Thanks for asking. For sure, for sure. So what's been going on, man? What's been going on? Not much. Just had another doctor's appointment. Find out if I need to, when I need to have surgery on my remaining foot. Gotcha, <laughs> gotcha. Well, that's all right, man. That's all right. So uh, what was it, what was it you sent me the other day, man? You, you busted a foot again or something like that? I... Did my Freedom Innovations Renegade AT had some major delamination on parts of it, and it's a split heel as well as being a split toe. Okay. And one of the portions of the heel was very, very worn, even though the foot is only a year old or less than, and the other side was normal stiffness. So they had to send it off to be completely replaced. I should be getting it tomorrow. Right on. Right on. So give me a little background information, Rob. Um, if you will. Your sure. your whole uh, you know, who are you? What are you up to? And um, you know, kind of what's your tie? What's your tie in here? I, I know that we've obviously already blown it out of the bag. You're an amputee. You've had a <laughs> you know, if you if you've had a an artificial foot fail, that's probably a good uh, a good assumption to make. But for those of you that don't know who you are, give me a little <laughs> background information, man. Sure. Uh my name's Rob Karate. I uh, live in the Detroit area. Um right now looking for work actually but i've been doing marketing and business operations for a number of years um right so, so for anyone nine. so for anyone listening let me just real quick for anyone listening this guy is 100 percent available and listening so right very much so very and much. ready now yeah <laughs> ready to rock um yeah definitely um about eight or so years ago, I had some issues with the um, uh, the MT joint, the metatarsal joint on my big toe on my right foot, and saw a podiatrist, which in hindsight was the big problem that occurred for me. Um, but I had a number of failed surgeries that just everything just kept compounding and getting worse and getting worse after each surgery. Um, the first surgery. Um, sort of went well, but a bunion formed. So the second surgery, they shaved down the bunion, shortened the toe on the second and third joints as well, put some screws into those. Third surgery, they had to take the screws out of the big toe because they didn't take. Fourth surgery, they replaced the joint at the metatarsal. Fifth surgery, they fused the IP joint and put some screws in. Where those screw heads landed it detached the toenail in the bed of the toe, which caused 
staff in MRSA, and then I got a bone infection as well. Um, Jeez. My sixth surgery, they took the screws out of the big toe. And then I spent a week in the hospital. And in that time, I said, listen, I am not an idiot. I see the absolute progression of events. This is this is not going well. Sure. Um, I need to find a new doctor immediately. And so I found a new doctor, and I sat with him. And I also had a pick line in for six weeks um, to deliver uh, IV antibiotics. Um, found a new doctor and talked to him about everything. And he said, you know, well, you, you, all the hardware has to come out of the foot. And I said, yeah, because the, the metal is still going to carry that infection. And I said, you know, realistically, the only option that's going to work is the amputation. Um, he said, well, you know, this isn't something you should take lightly. And I said, I'm not. This is surgery number seven or eight that I'm coming up on. He wanted to try something. Uh, he wanted to just take all the hardware out and just let the toe kind of flop around to see if that would help with the pain. Cause I was only getting like 20 minutes of sleep a night. If, if that, Jeez. which really did not make me a very happy individual. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it hurt all the time. So it just wasn't working. And so he took all the hardware out and he said, you know, you'll know within two days that this worked, it's either going to feel okay or it's going to hurt worse. And if it hurts worse, we're going the other way. Mm-hmm. Clearly, we went the other way. Um, June fifteenth, twenty seventeen, I had the amputation on my right leg below knee. Um, I woke up with a hard cast and a temporary prosthetic right away, actually, which I was really, really excited about um, because it made it so that I could recover even quicker and get up and get moving right away. Instead, and I'm a very stubborn individual. So instead of the standard 10 day post op recovery in the hospital, I was in for two. (laughs) Um, And then I went home and I was on a walker at 20% weight bearing on my right leg for about a week. And then we took all that stuff off. And I kind of didn't really stop. Um, I've been a very active individual my entire life. And I didn't let this stop me at all. I mean, after that, I started deadlifting on one leg. I had a gym in my house. Two weeks post-amputation, I made it up to 185 for triples on deadlifts in my basement on one leg. Um, Five months after the amputation, I squatted 415 pounds on a college park tempo, (laughs) which is a very low-level K2 foot with no articulation whatsoever to it. Um, and I've actually done some patient modeling for those guys, uh, really great guys for their local Detroit company. Um, and I, I've, I've sheared a pin. I've blown through a socket. Um, I put my sockets and my prosthetics through the ringer. I really do. Mm-hmm. And it's because, you know, everybody has told me, you know, you need to take it easy as an amputee. I, I don't believe that at all. Right. I'm of the firm belief that I have to prove myself at a much higher level every day of, I can do that, but I can do it a little bit better. Right. Right. That's awesome. And so I've never, I've never really stopped. And, um, you know, I started getting really interested in 3d printing and uh, additive manufacturing. And that's when I connected with you and Brent on LinkedIn. And I mean, I have been a very, very large pusher, and large proponent of, hey, look, 
we're not in the 1980s anymore. We should really be doing more things with 3D printing, mm-hmm. especially with how great everything is that's coming out of Additive America. I mean, you guys are doing some great work. Um, I've always loved everything you guys put up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just getting the, getting the clinicians on board and getting them to realize the benefits and the cost saving and the patient mind frame saving, time saving methods that 3D printing does. Yep, for sure. And that's where I'm at now. Right on, man, right on. How old are you now, uh, Rob? I am 39. 39, man. Yeah, you got tons of life left, man. That's awesome that you're kicking ass and doing all the fun stuff still. That's sweet. Are you more active now after your amputation than you were before? Or about the same? Uh, About the same. I mean, I rock climb uh, for years and years. And I actually just recently did an event with Rob. Uh, range of motion project we did an event with them not long ago where we did a climb in at planet rock locally here in, in michigan um supporting their pro climb team uh on the same day that they were doing a climb down in guatemala oh cool so it was it was a really cool event so i still done rock climbing i still ride motorcycles um i took up flying lessons because I was told I shouldn't, so I did. Um, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I've still been powerlifting. Uh, you know, I've got a full gym in my house, so right on. It's man. a good time. Yeah, that's sick. I love it. I love it. Yeah, dude, we totally got to get you down here in North Carolina and get you one of these bad boys. That'd be awesome. I'm in. I just got to find the the time and the money to get down there. Yep, for sure, for sure. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. Let me see here. What else did we have for you? Um, are you on a, are you on like the other social medias too? I know that I like, you know, we're, we're very well connected on LinkedIn and, and the amount of awesome people that I've come across and been connected with via LinkedIn has just been awesome, man. Has that been about the same for you? I know you're pretty active on there. Uh, I'm, I'm really active on LinkedIn and oddly enough, that is the only social media platform I have. I haven't had Facebook in over, over a decade. Nice. Um, and I got rid of link or I got rid of Instagram a few years back. Um, but I, I try very hard to get connected to almost every clinician that I could find and to every amputee I can find on there to really try and build that bridge and connections and try and just like, Hey, look, you might have a cool idea, but somebody else might've already tried it and it might've been in one of their posts. Let's build that bridge, get everybody connected with one another. So I love LinkedIn for that. Yeah, that's awesome. I totally agree, man. The amount of, the amount of stuff that, so I, you know, I'm of, I think a lot of people are of this thought where like there for a long time, everyone's ideas were their ideas and no one wanted to share any ideas with anybody else because there was like this, you know, this preconceived notion that like everyone thought that their idea was fantastic and that they should patent it and they should never tell anyone else their great idea because (laughs) someone might take it. And I have just found that to be a hundred and eight. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's opportunists out there, but, um, my experience has been the exact opposite. It's like the more and more that I share of things that I think are good ideas. A, I find out that half of them really aren't that good and somebody's already tried them, but B like the amount of people that will then like, team up with you and like connect and be like, Oh my gosh, that's a, that's great. And I was thinking this and like, what do you think if we, you know, together this and that it's been really awesome. It's been awesome to experience on my side of things for sure. 
Definitely. And if, I mean, if you even look historically, the guy who created the three-point seatbelt never patented it. And, and his exact quote was, I want everyone to have this safety measure in their cars across every car manufacturer. Mm-hmm. That's smart. That's so, I mean, awesome. sharing, sharing. I mean, it's all about sharing for the betterment of the industry. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's how we feel about the things that we're doing in the, in the prosthetics realm, man. And, and Brent's a big, you know, he really got me kind of thinking like that too, is the more that we're like, a lot of people are like, man, you come up with all this great stuff. Why do you post it on social media all the way? You should get some patents and you should make sure that you're, you know, squeeze that orange, you know, man. And we're like, and Brent's like, no, like what's <laughs> cool is the more, as soon as I do something, if I can take a picture of it and put it on the internet, it's public domain. No one can patent it. It's, it's the, you know, it's, it's uh let's yeah. ra- raise the water level for the whole industry. And I was like, dang, you know, that that's a pretty smart idea. Gotta, gotta agree with you there. And then a lot of times we'll be talking to prosthetists and they'll be like, you know, every now and then they'll be like, you know, how do you feel about posting all your good ideas? And our response is generally, um, didn't, you know, well, we kind of got involved in this, you know, so that patient care is better. Like we're in it for the patients. Like we're not in it for the, we're not in it to squeeze everything out of it and make a billion dollars and all that fun stuff. It's we're actually, yeah. if you put the patients first, like, isn't that why we all got into this thing in the first place? And then you kind of see them and they're like, dang it, got me. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing is putting that out, that all those ideas out there, especially in pictures or even like Brent does with the videos of how he's doing the modifications in, in geo magic, but, or, or yeah, geo magic freeform, putting that stuff out there, especially with the videos, another clinician who might be trying to figure out how to do it might stumble across that video and be like, that's what I'm missing. Yep. And then reach out and bridge that connection and make it happen even better. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. That's I mean, that's where we're at with the thing, man. I mean, like, you know, don't get me wrong. We got to eat, but you know, ultimately for us seeing other prosthetists and orthodists picking it up and, and kind of like going with it and, and pushing themselves to learn and, and become better. And, you know, it's basically just taking their creativity and applying it with a whole new set of manufacturing rules. It's, you know, we're not finding that we have to teach people how to be creative. It's teaching them how to basically put the creativity into the computer screen, so to speak, or, you know, I guess the old way of saying that would be like putting the creativity on the paper, even though that's, that's not exactly what we're doing. Yeah. But yeah, that's awesome. And and embracing new things. I think a lot of it also is a fear of new ideas. There, there, I've spoken to a number of clinicians who are afraid of jumping on the 3d bandwagon because they aren't sure how long that socket is going to last. And I've looked at them and I said, you know, I have broken traditional carbon sockets quicker than I have a 3D. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I've noticed. It's all about how it's made how the, and how the patient uses it. I mean, I'm abusive to sockets, and I know it. Right. I'm abusive to prosthetic feet, and I know it. Yep. And for a lot, like, uh, for example, I know for a fact that any foot that I have to try, I'm a Category 4. I know that. For a long time, I had a Category 5 Rush High Pro, and I hated it because it was way too stiff. It wasn't comfortable. They put me in a Category 4. It was like walking on air. It was magic how much more comfortable it was. But the clinician who I was with at that point in time thought I was just going to snap the foot real quick, and so he put me on a higher category. Gotcha. Gotcha. 
Yeah, that's wild stuff, man. That, um, you know, that's kind of something that we hear a lot of times too is, you know, the first question we get a lot of times is like, oh, well, have, have you had it tested? And we're like, um, have you taken a traditional laminated socket from your technician and had it tested? Uh, yeah. And then, then you, you either get two responses. You know, one is like, okay, well, you can kiss my tail. I'm done talking to you. And the other one is like, oh, I guess you're <laughs> right. Like, I've never thought of it that way. And it's like, just because Bob told Bill to do it a certain way doesn't necessarily mean that we all have to keep doing it that way. Like, you know, there's 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 different methods, different ways. And, you know, these new tools are not the enemy. We're not replacing, you know, we're not putting people out of work because we're 3D printing the leg. I mean, we're just really, we're, we're what we've kind of experienced is the technician just finds more meaningful work to do with their time. I mean, like we used to have people that um, sat in front of a, a wall with a bunch of plugs and you would call them and you, they would answer and they'd be like, hello operator. And you'd be like, yeah, can I talk to aunt Susie? And they'd be like, just a minute. And they would unplug a plug, yeah. plug it in over here. And then um, some dude come out with like, you know, a little bit better of a phone model. And people are like, what are we going to do? all these people are going to lose their jobs <laughs> and then we're going to have people with no jobs. And it's like, no, we'll just find more important stuff. We're all don't, don't think so lowly of the folks that they can't be trained into, into learning new, new tasks and more meaningful things that they can fill their time with. Like, Hey, if, if your clinician's Definitely. not spending 12 hours a week, um, laminating, he might be able to see one more patient a week. And, you know, you do that across every clinic. Every clinician can see one more patient a week. That's, you know, give them some vacation time. That's at least 45, 40 more patients a year. Not, you know, pretty easy numbers, you know, not even pushing it too hard there. I mean, that's, imagine the difference that could be made in that. And, you know, and, oh, yeah. um, that's the interesting part of it. And, I think. and I've actually done case studies on it too when I worked at a DME company and I said that was one of the biggest things because I was trying to get them on board with getting 3D printing in-house. And I said, you know, if 3D printing is going to, not only is it going to make a better fit for the patient, it's going to make, it's going to take less time off of the clinician's hands so that they can be seeing more patients yep. and generating more business. And, and I was specifically doing it from a fiscal business a business physical standpoint and i said they see more patients you make more money correct it's a tough concept but it, it's <laughs> from the patient yeah from the patient aspect we're seeing we're being, there's more of us that are able to be seen mm -hmm. and you don't a patient doesn't have to wait as long now mind you i am extraordinarily blessed in the fact that i have become very good friends with my clinician and I know I could call and be like, hey, I need to come in and, and get this looked at. And he'd say, sure, swing by tomorrow. Right on. And, and that, But that's just me. I know that like when I went to the Amputee Coalition conference not long after my amputation, a lot of people are like, oh, you've been an amputee for like 10 years? I'm like, no, like 10 months. Why? Mm -hmm. They're like, well, you're not limping. And I said, why should I be limping? Right. If I'm limping, something is wrong with my socket, which means that I haven't I haven't addressed this concern with my clinician. Yep. Well, well, you can do that. I'm like, oh my God, you have to be your own advocate all the time. <laughs> yep. They don't know what's wrong with your leg. They, they're not wearing it. Your leg is yours. If you don't open your mouth and speak to your clinician and be very openly honest and blunt, hey, it hurts here. They're never going to know. 
And then you're going to leave and you're going to say, that's a terrible clinician who just doesn't know what's wrong with my leg. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily. You could just be a terrible patient. I mean, (laughs) I'm a terrible patient because I never listen to the doctors and I know it. Yeah, you're But I'm very blunt about. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you're good. Go for it, man. Oh, I'm very blunt about what is going wrong with my leg or my socket or the foot. And it's, hey. I need this specific thing fixed and this is why. Okay, cool. Let's do it. For sure. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, you said earlier, you're like, oh man, I was told I shouldn't, I shouldn't fly an airplane. So I went and took a flying lesson. Like your clinician should be like, Hey, you know what you shouldn't do? You should not sit on the couch this weekend. That would be bad. And, <laughs> and then you would take it easy and not be breaking the feet. <laughs> I love it. That's funny. I'd, I'd probably even be like, yeah, I'm not going to sit around either. <laughs> yeah. I'm not doing that either. <laughs> Yeah. That's funny. Even like, and, and it, you know, even now, like for example, I'm on the phone. I still pace. I I pace when I'm on the phone. It's just a natural habit of mine. Yep. And you know, I, I like to be moving. I I like to be active, up, going, get things done. Yeah, I'm with you there, man. I'm a I'm a total pacer on the phone too. I've got like a little track in the house that I like, and then uh, sometimes I'll switch it up and I'll turn it into like a figure eight and. Then my wife will throw a shoe at me because I keep walking in front of the TV. So, yeah, I totally know what you mean there. I think my dad's got, like, literally a ring around the carpet in his basement, probably. around the, He's got, like, a <laughs> table down there. I know he does. I, I'd venture to bet on it, probably. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Yep. No, that's good stuff. Well, cool, man. Well, like, uh, what do you got going on? What's next for you? What's your next big adventure? I know you did the hiking and that stuff. What's your next big uh, thing you got planned for that? My next big adventure, oddly enough, is uh, is getting down to you. Um, I've I've got a couple of motorcycle trips planned for this coming summer. Uh, I really enjoy doing cross country trips on the motorcycle. Nice. Um, you know, I've I've flown down to South America to uh, ride around through Colombia. Uh, I've ridden a motorcycle from Detroit to Vegas and back. That's awesome. Um, my oldest brother just moved out to Connecticut, so I might jump on the motorcycle, and he rides too. So I might jump on the motorcycle and ride out there to see him uh, for a weekend or so. Right on. So it should be a really good time. What kind of bike do you have? Uh, I have a 2003 Yamaha Midnight Roadstar, 1600 cc's. That's sick. Most people look at it, even Har- I've had Harley dealers who are like, oh, that's a really nice Harley. And I'm like, oh, that's a Yamaha. Uh-huh. Thank you. You got some nice Vance and Hines <laughs> on it, so it sounds like one too. <laughs> I, I, oddly enough, I have Vance and Hines Pro Long Shots with no baffles in it. Yes, sir. Um, yes, sir. I know exactly what you're talking you can about. Hear me. <laughs> oh, yeah. You can hear me a quarter mile away pretty easy. Uh, uh, that's awesome. Even even further on the highway. So yeah, oddly yeah. enough, I on my trip to Vegas uh, was right before then was when I put those pipes on it. I had hard chrome big shot breeze on it before, yep. uh, and it was even louder. Um, <laughs> I switched out because my old uh, the heat shield had a crack on it, so I switched out the pipe gotcha. and I stopped on the side of the road. He's I want to say in like Nebraska or something, and I took the baffles off. And I, I left him at a rest stop in Nebraska. Good man. Good man. <laughs> Tossed him in the trash. I was like, no, I need this even louder. Yep. I don't need this junk. And take the training wheels out of the pipes for sure. That's awesome. Dude. Yeah. My, oh, exactly. Uh, my dad and uncle are big. In, my uncle is super big into bikes. He's got 
you know, the, he had a, a Royal star there back in about that time. And then, uh, you know, he finally got the Harley bug and Harley, you know, Harley totally got him with the, uh, the whole thing they did when they were about to go out of business where they made it to where you couldn't just go to the store and buy one. They made it to where you, uh, you give them all the money and they send you one, whichever color they choose. And so once they changed the rules, yeah. he was yeah. like, Oh crap. Now I can't just go get one. So now I better, now I need one. And so he totally got duped into that. And now he's got like two or three of them. I don't know. He's crazy. And yeah, my dad did. This was cool. This is a fun little side story. My dad had a, I think it was his first Harley. It was a, you know, they were into road Kings and stuff. They're kind of big dudes over six foot. I'm five, seven. Yeah. So, you know, I don't really need all that, all that business, but they were like six foot something. And so they got, they're all into road Kings. And so they kind of got into the bagger scene there when that was kind of hot. They were doing uh, oh, like yeah. the big front with like 21 inch wheel up, nothing crazy, but like 21 inch wheel up front and, you know, the bag extensions and hard bags and all that fun stuff. And, uh, my dad built one out. It was all yellow. He tricked it out. We put the, we'd had like a little business there for a minute where we were selling aftermarket horn covers for Harleys. But anyway, he, uh, he like had it all done up and everything. And then he ended up going to sell it and he sold the bike to, uh, it was Tim McGraw's tour bus driver bought the bike from him. So he kind of, you know, he was all, awesome. he was all pissed that he had to sell his bike, but at least for a good 18 months, he would tell every single person that he came in contact with that, uh, Tim McGraw's tour bus driver, you know, he, he bought it off me. So <laughs> he'll bust me up, he'll bust me up for telling this story and embellishing it like that. But he totally, totally, he milked it for a long time. <laughs> I think, I, oddly enough, I think my next bike is going to be an Indian, nice. um, I really like how those look. They look really nice. And, uh, you know, uh, I love hard bag bikes. I love them. Uh, and, and I love soft tail bikes. And that, yeah, that Roadstar is just mm-hmm. a dream when I'm on long trips. Um, but when I did that trip to Vegas, I did not have a fairing or a windshield. Uh, and it, it sucked. And I've got a fairing and a windshield on it now. And I had hard bags on it, but they broke. Yeah, they were just cheapos from eBay. So, oh, the pipes were vibrating um, them too loud, man. <laughs> I guarantee. I guarantee you cracked them at the mounts. I know you did. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Yep. One of them cracked. <laughs> it fell off while I was on the highway going about eighty some odd oh. miles an hour, uh, <laughs> and, and I mean it. It just tore off, and I was just like, "Oh my god, that sucks." <laughs> so, it was that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, it was not the bag that had the spare key to the motorcycle in it. So I immediately, like when I stopped, I immediately got all that stuff out of the other bag. No doubt. Took the bag off. and So now I'm riding around <laughs> with no bag, which is annoying to me because I enjoy sure. storing random crap in there like my tools. Right, right. But For sure. And, and for a long time, actually, uh, I had a spare foot that I would keep in there. Oh, nice. For any time when if I did road trips, uh, because if anything were to occur to my foot, and like I had, I had a foot in one side and a spare socket in the other. <clears throat> Excuse me, because if I'm on a road trip by myself and something happens to my leg, yep. I'm SOL. Absolutely. You know, there's not a clinician that's close by that's going to be like, oh, I can just do this real for, real quick for you, no worries. Right. Yeah, that that's not how it works. <laughs> yeah, they don't have that division of so AAA have, yet. <laughs> yeah, so I'd have spare parts. In the in the in the uh, saddlebags, which was hilarious to see. Or like I'd stop, and my jeans have a zipper going up the inseam, uh, and and I'd stop and I'd take my leg off, and people would just stop and stare and be like, uh-huh. "Oh my god, what are you doing? <laughs> you're, you're crazy, uh, sir, sir. You're crazy. 
the, the, the best is when I park in a handicap spot on the motorcycle and I put my handicap sticker in the, in the windshield <laughs> on the ferry. And I'm like, what? I have a prosthetic leg. I, I have a it. handicap sticker for it. Dude, I love it. That's, that's so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you got to have fun with it. I think, I think the best amount of fun that I've had with my prosthetic was the tattoo that I got on the back of my left leg. Uh, shortly after the amputation, it's just a hand pointing at the right leg and says, I'm with Stumpy. <laughs> oh, and, and my tattoo artist is a really good friend and he was really annoyed. Like he was like, I, that's sort of offensive. And I was like, it's my leg. Yeah. I'm the one who has the amputation. I'm okay with it. Hey, listen, I really like this joke. Okay. So you're going to go ahead and you're going to put it on. Oh there, yeah. And I'm going to rock it. All right, bud. <laughs> I love oh it. yeah. So like I'll, it, especially during the summer, I love wearing shorts because it just gets some <laughs> funny reactions from people who are walking behind me. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. I love it, man. Oh, definitely. Well, Hey dude, it's been it great. Is always a good time for sure. For sure. Well, it's been great catching up with you, man. This is hilarious. I can't believe we haven't chatted Same on the phone you. before this. This is awesome. We have more in common than I, I know, really. We talk and text constantly over LinkedIn and text messages. <laughs> for sure. I know. We've been chatting like <laughs> uh, we've been chatting online for like 18 months. This is the first time I've talked to you on the phone. I can't believe what man, what a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> the actual talking part or that it's taking the plug. Come on now. <laughs> uh, he's a comedian. Hold on, hold on. Which one is it? Oh no! Sorry, that was disrespectful. Oh damn it! We got one that. That's pretty good. That's pretty. There it is. New switchboard. Still learning it. <laughs> we'll leave all that in in the final edit. Authenticity. Ah, authenticity is key. Just like that. Uh, anyway, that's good. Stuff. I love it. Well, cool, dude. Well, when you can get that thing, that bike, and you can aim that sucker to eastern North Carolina, man, I'm looking forward to it. I fully plan on it, especially because you guys are only a 12-hour drive from me. So Yeah, it's like nothing. Blink of an yeah, eye. Yeah, that's a quick, quick trip for me. Uh, <laughs> as soon as the weather's nice enough, I'm going to jump on the bike and ride my butt down there to see you. Right on, right on. That sounds good, Rob. I appreciate it, man. Well, hey, it was great chatting with you. I'm gonna let you get off Same and let you, you get back to get back to life. I know you got you probably have a bunch of uh, wild activities to do tonight because you're crazy and off the wall. So <laughs> keep it up, you gotta man. Gotta have fun with life. Absolutely, absolutely. Cool, brother. Great chatting with you, All man. Right. I appreciate Hi, it. Thanks for coming on the pod. Thanks for having me. I'll talk to you later, brother. All right, see you, Rob. Bye. That was Rob Karate. He's a uh, a friend of mine and Brent's that we met on LinkedIn. And if you're not on LinkedIn, you're probably not even listening to this podcast. But um, LinkedIn is pretty much the jam. The amount of folks that we've come in contact with and met and have come into our lives um, has been really awesome. And uh, Rob's one of those folks. Can't believe I've never chatted with him on the phone before. He's uh, he's a really great guy. We have a lot more in common than I thought. And uh, dude it is totally. Uh, He's a bad man. He's a bad man. Anyone that rides a motorcycle from Detroit to Vegas and back on a prosthesis is a man I want to be friends with. So thanks, Rob, for coming on the podcast. And this was episode three of Kicking It With special guest Rob Crotty. And I'm Zach Holcomb. Thanks.